All right, so this message in Galatians 5, 1 6 is called Falling into Freedom. All right, I'm going to read 5, 1 6, and we'll talk. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So up to this point in Galatians, Paul's been sort of repetitive about talking about the contrast of the flesh and the spirit, right? Um, about not continuing to follow the law and not thinking that you need circumcision anymore to be righteous in Christ. Um, and then he kind of leads up to this point at the beginning of 5.1, and we think that this is, this is what all of Galatians is about. This is what it all centers on. And this is where he says it's for freedom that you've been set free. And if we were going to pick out a theme or a point or a main thing in this whole book of Galatians, that's what we would point to. It is for freedom that you've been set free. And then he goes on, he says, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. If you want to think that you're getting righteousness from a little bit of the law, you're going to have to keep the whole entire law and keep it perfectly. Verse 4, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts, this is the only thing that counts, no longer Jew, Gentile, male, female, circumcised, uncircumcised, all these boundary lines are erased. The only thing that matters anymore and that matters right now on this side of Jesus having died on the cross is faith expressing itself through love. That's all that matters. So check this out. Have any of you ever experienced like that fear of missing out? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you always feel like there's a line and the people at the front of the line are going to get in on something they're going to get some kind of prize they're going to win or whatever and you always feel like you're at the back of the line and by the time you get to the front of the line it's like the person right in front of you gets the very last prize and you just miss out you ever feel like you're always that person and like you constantly have to scramble to like work your way to the top like you're always at the bottom of the barrel and you're never going to catch a break you ever like deal with that anxiety and that fear that any, anything good that is going to come along, it is certainly not going to come along to me. It's going to come along to somebody else and I'm always going to miss out. You ever experienced that, that fear of missing out or that anxiety about that issue? Well, we'll come back to that. But here's, here's what Paul is telling us in Galatians 5. He's saying that it is for freedom that we've been set free. You're like, what does that mean? You were freed for freedom. You were made free so that you could be free. 
And this is all the central point in all of Galatians. This is what it all points to, and this is what Paul wants you to know. That's why he's going on this whole lengthy explanation, calling the Galatians foolish, asking who's bewitched you, and saying things like, man, don't you get it? Stop trying to justify yourselves by the things that you do as if you think you're the person in the back of the line who's never going to earn Christ, who's never going to gain Christ. Like you have to scramble your way from the bottom of the barrel to the top so that you can get Christ because if things are left to their own circumstances, then everybody else is going to get Christ and you're not. You're going to be left out. And this is what he says. There's a couple of implications based on what he tells us about this freedom. He says, stand firm in this freedom, and then don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. A couple of implications. This freedom that we're talking about, this Christ freedom, it's kind of fragile. Like, it's not always sturdy. It's not always, like, set. Now, we'll, talk, we'll clarify that more. I don't want to make it sound like your salvation is not set. But this freedom that Christ set us free for, it's a little bit fragile. And sometimes you can give up that freedom and submit yourself again to the yoke of slavery. So here are, is Paul's command to the Galatians. In light of this, in light of this kind of fragile freedom, and it's for freedom that you've been set free, like... Once you're there, once you've found yourself in the freedom of Jesus, stand firm. Stay there. Don't move. And this is how you stand firm. You, how you stand firm. You do it by never again submitting yourself to the yoke of slavery. Let's talk about a yoke for a minute, right? Do you guys know what a yoke is? Like, you know how there's like a yoke of oxen? So a yoke is kind of like a U-shaped piece of wood, and it goes over the shoulders of an oxen, and it keeps them, like, so that they're able to pull a plow or pull whatever you need this oxen to pull. And this yoke represents a burden because it's on their shoulders, and they have to pull whatever the yoke is attached to, right? And now there's some imageries uh, in ancient Judaism about what a yoke is. Uh, there were rabbis in the day, and the rabbis would have certain teachings about the law and about, um, you know, the study of the Torah, and they would interpret it, and they would give their lives to the study of it, and they would have something called a yoke. And a yoke was that rabbi's method of teaching the Torah. And every rabbi's yoke might have been a little bit different. Or sometimes the rabbis would have disciples and they would pass on their yoke to their disciples. So if you were so lucky as to get selected to be the disciple of a rabbi, you would submit yourself to that rabbi's teaching and you would take his yoke on your shoulders. So the burden of whatever this rabbi is teaching, you would wear that burden. And that burden is now your yoke. Got it? So here's, here's what I want to say about this kind of fragile freedom, this whole yoke thing, everything that's going on. When Paul is saying stand firm and he's calling the Galatians foolish and he's like, who's bewitched you? Don't you get it? Over and over. He's just kind of reaming them and letting them have it. And he's like, you're 
you're making everything that Christ did on the cross useless. So based on the way that you're acting, you might as well throw the whole entire cross away. Which are some pretty intense words from Paul. Now here's what Paul's saying as he's saying, don't submit yourselves again to the yoke of slavery. He's not saying that by doing that, you're going to lose your salvation. Actually, he's saying that you could lose your freedom. So the assurance of salvation will still be there, but you could be like a saved person having salvation, but still living like a slave. You could be living like a slave child and not like a free child or an heir child, somebody who is assured that they have a promised inheritance in the future. And if you're always behaving like you're that person who is always going to miss out, if you're always afraid and anxious about missing out, like everybody else is going to win, but not me. If you always think that you have to climb from the bottom of the barrel to the top, or like you have to promote yourself above others to be more valuable, or like you're always comparing yourselves to others to see if you're more worthy than they are, if you're always having to do that, then you've probably taken the yoke of slavery upon you. You've probably become a slave again. When you were once a slave, then you were set free. You went back to slavery. If those things characterize your behavior. Well, so what do we do about that? Well, here's the problem. We have to identify the problem first, right? This world, as it is, is broken, disconnected, and not as it was intended to be. So when we look around at the world and we point at things and we go, that's not fair. Absolutely, it's not fair. And when we say, why does a good God allow these evil things to happen? Well, with the world broken and disconnected as it is, we have to understand this world isn't as it was originally intended to function. It's no longer connected. There's no longer shalom. There's no longer peace. Relationships are broken. Our purpose is broken. We're supposed to tend the earth, and now the earth has thorns and thistles growing out of it. Right? We're, man is supposed to be in relationship with woman. It's supposed to work right. And now it says, Eve, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Right? This world is not as it was intended to be. It's broken and disconnected. And when we look at this broken and disconnected world, and when we feel the broken and disconnected world, when we feel the weight of suffering, that's a moment where we're in touch with the fact that the world is broken. And when we suffer, part of the problem is that we typically try to escape. We try to escape the burden. We try to escape the brokenness. And now here's what he's saying to the Galatians. There's two kinds of slavery. And you've demonstrated both of them. The first type of slavery is liberal slavery. Right? You were pagans, worshipping idols. 
and you said, I can do whatever I want with my life. And you went out in life and lived life to please yourself and to make yourself happy. This is the liberal slavery. This is, I do whatever I want and I get away with it and I live to make me happy. But don't you see? That's slavery. Because what you're enslaved to is your own pleasures and desires. But it feels okay because you're like, I'm free, I do whatever I want. Well, that's not freedom. You're enslaved to what the next thing you desire is going to be. Does that make sense? So they were living in this liberal slavery, pagan rituals, worshiping idols. They did what they want. They behaved how they want. And Jesus came in and set them free from this liberal slavery. He said, no, no worshiping idols anymore. No living any old way, just living for your own pleasures. Instead, live for Christ and obey him. And they started that way. They started walking into freedom from the liberal slavery into freedom. And then they started going back to slavery. But they didn't go back to slavery in the form of liberal slavery. They didn't go back to slavery in the form of worshiping idols and pagan rituals and all this stuff. They went back into slavery in the conservative slavery. Does that make sense? Both can be slavery. One looks like worshiping idols. And one doesn't always look like worshiping idols, but it can still be worshiping idols. They are idolizing the law. And life now is not about freedom. It's all about keeping the rules and being a good person and living the right way and telling people the answers they want to hear and fixing your face up just so that you smile at the right time so that nobody's mad at you. This is the conservative slavery. Both are slavery. Both are worshiping idols. The idols look different. One is like some other god, lowercase g, god. And one is worshiping the law. But Paul teaches us the law is not eternal. The law isn't going to save anybody. So what do we do? Or like, better question, what do we become when we're submitting ourselves to the yoke of slavery? And this, this is true for either form, liberal or conservative slavery. What we become or the characteristics that define us when we submit ourselves again to the yoke of slavery are we become touchy, like really thin skin, like anything that anybody says is going to hurt us, offend us. If, they, if somebody says one thing wrong, <clears throat> relationship over, right? No chance for forgiveness and reconciliation. Or if somebody else around you is touchy, you know this because you always have to like walk on eggshells around them. Like you can't tell them the truth to their face. Like if you say one wrong thing to them, you feel like the relationship is going to end. 
And see, slavery will make us touchy and thin-skinned. Slavery will also make us insecure. Right? Any word that anybody says, if I'm interpreting it in an insecure way, I'm going to think they're attacking me. I'm going to think that any word, even a, wor even a positive word of affirmation, I'm going to take offense to it because I'm so insecure that even their positive affirmations will be a threat. I'm not set. I'm not standing firm. I'm insecure. Does that make sense? Also, you become proud, right? And pride can express itself in two ways. One is, I think I'm the best, and the rest of you are dumb. The other is, poor me. Everything wrong always happens to me. I'm always the victim. And I'm going to continue to play the victim because I think so highly of myself that all these circumstances spinning around in my world are all out to get me. Does that make sense? The two forms of pride or narcissism. The next is, if we're under the yoke of slavery, is we will try sin management. We would try to manage our own sins and the sins of others. Right? If we have sins, we're going to hide them. If others have sins, we're going to pounce on them. Right? We're going to be like the sin sniffers. We're going to be like the sin police. And here's the thing about police. Right? If you're driving on the freeway and there's a cop pulled over on the side of the road and he's got his radar out, every single person slows their car down for a minute. Right? Even if you're not speeding, if the speed limit is 60 and you're going 60, you will slow down to 55 just while you pass the cop. And then as soon as you get past the cop, you speed up 10 miles an hour. Cops don't transform the way you drive. Cops make you behave when you're in their presence. It's like sin management. If you're around a sin manager, you will behave in their presence and you will become someone totally different when you're out of their presence. If you're a sin manager in your own life, you are going to put on a face and a fake smile to make everybody happy, just to get them off your case long enough till you can be your real self when no one's looking. Become sin managers. And it's fake and inauthentic and it's a result of slavery. Don't do it. We become guilt-ridden if we're enslaved. We become so filled with guilt that any words anybody say sound like judgment to us, pronounce a judgment on us, feel like guilt to us. Anything that anybody asks of us, we always have to explain ourselves because we have a like a guilt complex. We feel like we're always guilty. And if anybody notices, then I'm going to have some major explaining to you. In fact, probably like, I don't know, four or five years ago, I actually had somebody ask me, 
why do you always explain yourself all the time? And then I started explaining myself, and I'm like, no, wait, you don't get it. It's because this is why. And, and this person, they, they just cared about me, and they weren't trying to pronounce judgment on me. They were just identifying something that I was doing so that I could grow from it. And so why, why everything that anybody says, are you always explaining yourself? And if I, if I think back and if I analyze, it's probably because I always felt guilty about so many things. I had a guilt-ridden conscience that I thought I had to explain myself to be justified, to be righteous, to be good. I thought that people's words were condemning me and calling me a bad person. And I had to explain, no, 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 no. I'm a good person. This is why. I have 10 reasons. Okay? Here they go. They're listed out in alphabetical order. <laughs> right? We become guilt-ridden, and we think everything is our fault. And in a community where everybody is guilt-ridden and they think everything is their fault, everybody is going to regress, pull back, not contribute to the community, not contribute to the greater good, not build into something worthwhile and healthy and growing and abounding in love. And everybody's going to pull back and turn into this little shell and sit back in their little boxes or on their little pedestals and they're going to feel guilty, and they're going to feel discouraged, and they're going to feel down on themselves, and they're going to be pointing a finger at everybody else because everybody else does stuff too. Right? And last but not least, if we have submitted ourselves to the yoke of slavery, either one, we're always going to be asking the question, am I worthy? Do I mean something? Am I here on purpose? Would it make a difference in the world if I was here or if I wasn't here? Am I worthy? And for an enslaved person in an enslaved community, like think about it, the Church of Galatia, this whole community is submitting itself again to the yoke of slavery. In an enslaved community, everybody's going to be going around asking this question, not verbally. They're probably not going to say it verbally, but they will say it non-verbally. Am I worthy? And then people become objects that we can run up to and push a button and ask, am I worthy? And then if they laugh at my jokes, then I'm worthy. If they don't laugh at my jokes, I'm not worthy. If they like my Instagram picture, I'm worthy. If they don't like my Instagram picture, I'm unworthy, right? Does that make sense? Constantly asking that question. And then our worth and our value as a person all becomes like this enormous teeter-totter. Some days I'm worthy, some days I'm not worthy. And what my worthiness is dependent on is, do people like me today? And all these are signs and symptoms of a person being enslaved. 
And if we're demonstrating these signs and symptoms, we may have submitted ourselves again to the yoke of slavery. And we may have forgotten that it is for freedom that Jesus has set us free. And here's why. Here's why we do this. We go from slavery to freedom. And freedom feels like wide open spaces. Freedom feels like space to run. Some of us don't like space to run. Some of us like people to tell us every single step that we're going to do. What comes next? How do I be? Should I laugh now or should I not laugh now? Should I smile now or should I not smile now? Should I post the status? Should I not post the status? What do I do next? We like these confined little boundaries so that we can know that we're keeping the rules, so that we can be assured that we're being a good person, so that when we stand before Jesus someday, we can show him our list of all the good things we did and how we're a good person. And if he starts to argue with us, we're going to point to other people who are worse than us. Right? I mean, like it or not, that's what we all do. So we go from slavery to freedom, and then lots of people return back to slavery. Like a dog returns to its vomit. Or like an addict comes out of rehab and goes back into drugs. You know that they say that in an average uh, drug rehab center, the people that come out of rehab and are supposed to be cured if 25% who come out, one quarter, one in four, if 25% stay off drugs, that's successful. Meaning typically 75% go back to it. Like a dog returning to its vomit. Like a sinner returning to his sin. We return to our sin, and here's why. If I'm freed from my sin, I don't have a built-in excuse to settle. Right? If I always have the excuse that I'm just a sinner, I'm just a terrible person, I always mess things up, I always lie, I always cheat, I always steal, whatever, fill in the blank. That if somebody asks me if I'm okay, if I'm good, if I'm righteous, I can point and say, I'm doing pretty good for a thief. I'm doing pretty good for a liar. And we settle into this rut of finding our identity in our sin. And that is our basis of reality. If anybody asks us how we're doing, or how, we're, how our spiritual walk is, or how this. We have a built-in excuse for why we're not growing into the freedom of Christ. We have an excuse to settle. But here's what Paul wants to tell us. There is such a thing as the remedied life the life that has received the remedy. 
Right? We're talking about the world being broken and people being broken, all this stuff. Paul wants to tell us that there is a new kind of brokenness. A new kind of brokenness. And this new brokenness also happens to be our new identity. Our new identity is not that we never sin ever again. Because then the moment that we do sin, we're like, oh, I'm just a sinner, I'm a terrible person. The new brokenness says we find our identity in Christ and his resurrected life. We find our identity as the new creation. We're broken in a new way. And with this new identity, the basis of reality that we work from is Christ's righteousness on our behalf. So we don't throw the cross out. We don't throw Christ out and say, no, that matters, because I live in a way that says it doesn't matter. We embrace the brokenness or the sinfulness. We embrace it at the same time that we embrace Jesus. And our identity is no longer sinner. Not that we don't sin, we do. But our identity is no longer sinner. Our identity is saint. When Paul writes letters in the New Testament and he says, to the saints in Ephesus, Right? When he addresses people, he addresses them as saints. Not that they're without sin completely. He's correcting sin right here. But your new identity in Christ is saint. So stand firm in that. Don't let anybody pronounce guilt on you anymore. Don't let people speak to the guilt inside of you and say, you need to do things so that Jesus will love you. You need to be circumcised. You need to cut your hair. You need to get a tan. You, you need to do all this stuff. You need to get this many likes on social media. And then, only then, will Jesus love you. That's the exact opposite of the gospel. See, the gospel says, I have faith in a future acceptance. Right? It does require walking by faith. I don't see God's arms around me right now, although they are. I don't always feel secure in God's love, although I am. But God doesn't base his opinion or his judgment of us based on right now, he bases it on the future. He bases it on us being holy and presentable in Christ Jesus. So we walk by faith in that future acceptance. We don't have to walk around using people, judging people, 
being proud, feeling like we're at the bottom of the barrel and we always have to climb our way to the top. Jesus reaches down to the bottom and he says, not because of anything you do, say, act, or behave like, not because of any of that do I accept you. I just do, and I just love you. And if we have a guilt complex, then we're constantly going to be convincing Jesus, like, you don't want me. You, you think you want me, but you don't want me. Come on, Jesus. Do you know me? Like, like do you know me? And he says, yes, I know more about you than you know about yourself. And isn't that what everybody wants? At the deepest part of who we are, that somebody will know the worst parts about us and love us anyways. So we walk by faith in that future acceptance. And then we start falling into freedom. Right? I can think of the song Free Fallen. You know, but not like the Tom Petty one because that sounds like a celebration. Like, wow! You know, driving in a convertible with the top down and the wind blowing in your hair and you're like, not that Free Fallen where you're like screaming it. But the Free Fallen by John Mayer, you know, where he like does it live. In, in the song, like however he John Mayer-ishly does it, like it sounds like a free fall. Like just the way that the chords are going and the notes are going, it sounds like it's falling. And it sounds like he's surrendering. And that is what the free life is characterized by this surrendered free fall. Like I just jumped out of a plane and I'm really comfortable with it. You know what I mean? Like I'm falling and that's the safest place to be. Like I took a step or a leap of faith and by faith I know that I will be caught. So here's what we're, <clears throat> here's what this all amounts to. If we're no longer slaves, but we embrace the freedom. If we're living in this new kind of brokenness. If we're embracing our identity in Christ and not being identified by our sin. And if we're leaving the yoke of slavery behind and finding ourselves under a new yoke. Remember Jesus talks about his yoke. He was a rabbi. He had a yoke. And speaking of his yoke, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're under the yoke of freedom. And not go live however you want. It doesn't even matter. But instead, we are free to obey God and not to please ourselves. 
we are free to give and to receive with no strings attached and no outside expectations because I don't need to gain any value from you to tell me that I'm worthy. I found that worth in Christ and I don't have to search for it anymore in the people around me. We're freed from condemnation. I am no longer condemned a sinner because Christ has set me free. My new identity is his righteousness and I just live it and I'm free to do that. Condemnation is heavy. Condemnation feels like a yoke of slavery, right? Like I always have to pay a debt back. Like, I always owe an explanation to everybody who asks me a question. Like, I always have to make it up. Right? If, if you have a relationship with condemnation, without freedom, then I don't like you to give me stuff because then I feel burdened to give back to you. And I don't want to have to give back to you because I might not come through. But under this freedom, we're free to give and free to receive. And we can freely relate. Or as Paul says it, faith expressed through love. We can love people. We can freely relate. We can have these free relationships where we're not always wondering, am I forgiven or am I condemned? If we are set free for freedom in Christ. We no longer have to fear the condemnation of others because they are not the final answer. And we can have free relationships where there's free forgiveness, free give and take, free helping one another. I don't owe you stuff. You just love because you love and don't expect anything in return. We are free to be safe. Think of that free fall. You like, you like feel that feeling in the pit of your stomach. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm free falling, right? And then you chill out for a second and you realize that free fall that you're not in control of is actually the safest place to be. So free not to do whatever we want, but free to obey God and not to please ourselves. And here's what all this amounts to, if it works out right. If we're believing what Paul is selling, and if we deeply believe that it is for freedom that we've been set free, our lives will look like heavenly radiance. like heaven coming out of our pores, like heaven coming out of our mouths, like heaven coming out in our works, like we're a tree planted in Eden, bearing Eden's fruit in this world that is filled with death, decay, disease, and brokenness. 
will be a beam of light to whoever we come into contact with. If we're living in freedom, we can have salvation and still be slaves. But we want salvation and freedom because it's for freedom that we've been set free. Make sense? Amen? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you've done what we could never have done for ourselves. God, I thank you for this new life in you, that you give us your yoke, which is easy, and your burden, which is light. God, help us to live into that. Help us to find our identity in you, and help us to have a faith that is expressed through love. Let us live the free life. In Jesus' name, amen.